Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. I'm here as your advocate. I bring you the information and the guests that hopefully will add some value to your busy lifestyle that'll get you to think, get you to feel, and maybe even inspire you to act. Guys, Guys Radio. We've got a great show today. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Question for you. Did you realize that the United States has 5% of the world's population, yet we use up 30% of the world's resources? It's unbelievable. We've got a special guest today, and he's a world-famous author. His name is John Perkins. You probably heard of his book, if you haven't read it, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, where John was really an enabler for many U.S. corporations to plant their roots in struggling economies to help these economies out by setting up infrastructures, etc., but ultimately set up in place of uh, uh, profit, I guess is the only way you can label it, profit. So we're going to talk to John about that book, but also he's got a brand new book. It's called Touching the Jaguar. Beyond John being a very astute businessman, he's also a real spiritual guy. He spent a lot of time uh, dealing with shamanic teachers, and Touching the Jaguar is really about confronting your fears to get the best out of life, transforming fear into action to change your life and the world. And I think at this time, what we want to do is really use this opportunity where everybody's still locked down is to change the world as best we can. Even if it's from home, you know, a lot of things can start now. This quarantine can actually work as an opportunity. And that's something I want to talk about a little bit with you today before we bring John out here. You know, here's some of the changes that have taken place or are taking place because of the coronavirus. And I hope everybody's safe. I hope you are comforting and caring for those who have been stricken. And I send energy out to you, anybody who's had some issues with this, with this virus. I hope you're staying safe. I started wearing a bandana at the supermarket because I went into a place called Jimbo's yesterday and there's a guy at the door and he's like, bandana, cover your face. And uh, fortunately, I had one with me. I have not been doing that. And I'm not sure about the whole, all the truth behind this virus, but I do know this, the people who've gotten stricken with it, who are compromised, uh, their health is compromised already, they're having big, big problems with it. And even some healthy people, at least healthy on the surface level, who've been stricken uh, have real problems. So I'm not downplaying the importance and the seriousness of this virus. But here's a couple of ways where this is uh, changing, is going to change how we live. Um, One, think about this. Uh, Are people in the future are we going to be going into stores and using retail stores the same way? Or is more and more and more businesses going to be driven online? We have so much buying online now. Every year, if you look at the data around uh, the holiday season, more and more purchases are made online. I know for myself, I get on my laptop, I do all my shopping there, and, and, and that's it. So 
Think about it, though. Do you really need to walk around? They're already in the stores. They're talking about now, even in grocery stores, to protect the workers there. First, it's the masks that the consumer... First, it was the workers have to wear masks. Now, it's the consumers have to wear masks. The next question is, are they going to even let us into the stores? Or are we going to have to order online and then pick up our products? Just a question. Cash, another thing. I whipped out a $20 bill. I was buying a bottle of wine yesterday, and somebody said to me, oh, is that an essential service? Well, they listen, they sell, it, they sell wine everywhere, and I like to have it with a meal now and then. Anyway, there are liquor stores open in various states, so I, I don't, I'm not sure what the rationale about that is, but it is what it is for right now, and I think we've got bigger fish to fry. But are we going to have a cashless society and this, is this driving the demise of cash? Because I took out a $20 bill, I got cash back, you know, change, and I'm thinking, wow, I wonder if this is tainted money now with the virus. I stuffed it in my pocket, I came home, I sprayed it with some stuff, and I'm thinking, this is, this is getting crazy. Everybody's going to be using cards more and more and more. Not that we're not already, but could this be the demise of, uh, of cash? Also, small businesses, uh, with the money that's been provided by the federal government, even the big corporations that have individual outlets are benefiting bigly, as our president would say, because if you are a, uh, a big conglomerate, you're only being uh, measured by your individual stores or individual hotels, etc., so each, each one of those businesses is considered a separate business, not an overall brand. So a lot of the real mom and pop places, they're not, they haven't as of yet, they're talking about putting a bill through for that, but they haven't as yet gotten that stimulus. So is this the demise of big business, uh, small business rather, at the, uh, at the expense of customers and a lot of uh, small mom and pop business owners? It's, is it all going to be changed from now on? Dating. How is dating going to change? Like, wow, even before you get together with somebody, you're going to have to go through a lot of different steps. So I think people are going to be meeting through their computers. There's going to be a lot of Zoom going on, a lot of Zoom dating before you even make that contact. Going to events, I was reading an article today about uh, baseball. Korea is going to start uh, with baseball in May. And I've been to Korea and baseball's big time there. And they're not going to have fans and that's going to be interesting to see what happens here because I'm a big baseball fan and I was looking forward here in San Diego to the Padres season and I don't know if we're going to have fans at the games. It's, uh, it's wild. We'll see what happens with football. Also, uh, this week they're going to have the football draft and the football draft is actually going to be virtual. So, wow. There's more and more, but that's about all the time I have to get into this stuff today. So let's bring out our guest John Perkins, a great Guys Guys radio guest. He's a guys guy, and we're going to have a terrific show for you. Thanks for being here. It's Guys Guy Radio. Today, uh, we have a very, very special guest. His name is John Perkins. You may be familiar with him. He wrote the worldwide runaway bestseller over two million copies sold called confessions of an economic hitman that really changed the way people looked at what is really colonialism modern colonialism where countries go into other smaller countries 
and basically take advantage of them. And John has written about 10 books on this, and he's a really fantastic guy. And I can't wait for our discussion here on Guys Guys Radio, but let me give you a little bit of background. Today, as we know, it's a time that's filled with crisis and opportunities. It's a time when we're challenged, and we're also inspired to elevate our consciousness to create a world that we are proud of and one we want to pass on to future generations. And sometimes we get kind of off that road. And I think with, uh, as John has mentioned, with Milton Friedman's uh, decree that corporations really are there to serve the shareholders, and that's it. Um, the paradigm of uh, corporations being there to serve uh, was kind of tossed aside. So let's talk about John and his new book. John Perkins is an author. He's also an activist. He's got 10 books on global intrigue, we'll call it, shamanism and transformation, including the new book we're going to talk about today, Touching the Jaguar. Uh, Shapeshifting and the Classic Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which has been on the New York Times bestseller list for more than 70 weeks, sold over 2 million copies, and it's published in 35 languages. He was a chief economist at a major consulting firm, and he advised the World Bank, the UN, Fortune 500 corporations. Now he regularly speaks at universities, economic forums. You can check, check out his TEDx uh, presentation. He also does shamanic gatherings around the world, and he's founder and a board member of a couple of nonprofit organizations, the Panchamama Alliance and Dream Change. And he's really a fantastic guy. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, John Perkins. Thanks so much for being here. Honored to be with you today. I really appreciate it. Well, fantastic. So uh, just to say, put some context out there, let's start on the converse, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. You were a well-educated guy. You went into the Peace Corps, and then you were hired, uh, I guess, kind of by, I don't know if it was corporations or the government, to go into smaller countries who were under economic stress to offer them opportunities, supposed opportunities for their growth, which turned into more of a predatory situation. Could you just give us a little background on that and and uh, what flipped the switch for you in terms of making the change into who you are today? Well, yeah, that, that's a pretty good overview, Robert. I, um, yeah, I was chief economist at a company called Charles D. Maine, which was a very influential company in those days. It's since changed its name. But um, I had about 30, between 30 and 50 people working for me at various times, and my job really was to identify countries with resources that corporations want, like oil, and et cetera, and arrange huge loans to that country from the World Bank or one of its sister organizations, uh, with the requirement that they hire our corporations to build big infrastructure projects in the country, things like power plants and industrial parks that benefited a few of the very wealthy families who own the big industries, who use most of the electricity, uh, and and in addition to making big profits for, for the corporations that built them. Uh, but they hurt the majority of the people who, because money was, was uh, deferred from uh, paying for education, health care, and other social services in, in order to pay off the interest on these loans. And in the end, the loans never could be repaid in, in entirety. So we'd go back usually under the guise of the International Monetary Fund and uh, offer to restructure the loans, provided, of course, that the company meet certain conditions, like sell their resource, oil, whatever, real cheap to our corporations without any environmental or social regulations, allow us to build a military base on their soil, uh, vote with us at, at the United Nations, things things like that. 
And uh, in essence, we were we were creating a new a kind of a new form of empire, uh, not not being done so much by military, but by by economics, by debt. And there was a slightly militaristic side of that, and that is that these presidents knew that if if they did not agree to these conditions, uh, then they probably would be uh, introduced, let's say, <laughs> to people, people we call jackals. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who either overthrew governments or assassinated their leaders. You know, and the United States, unfortunately, has, has, has done a lot of that. We've admitted to it in places like Chile with, with uh, Allende and Arbenz and Guatemala and Lumumba and the Congo and Diem and Viet, in uh, mm-hmm. Iran and Ziem and Viet, Vietnam and many, many others. So what, uh, when did the switch get flipped for you, John, in terms of seeing like, okay, I thought I was doing something, you know, I'm, I'm going after the usual stuff, money, power, and sex. And then what flipped the switch for you to say, you know what, something's wrong with this equation here. How did you come to that epiphany? Yeah, you bring up a good point, Robert, that for a number of years as I was doing this job, I thought it was I was doing the right thing. Because in business school, and the World Bank and others teaches us that to help a poor country uh, become more prosperous, you invest heavily in infrastructure, and that increases the gross domestic product, the economy. And statistically, we can show that it does. But over time, I saw that those statistics are totally skewed in favor of the rich. So in countries, even like say the United States today, where we know that three individuals have as much wealth as half the, the bottom half of the population of the United States, if those three individuals are making 10% per annum on their and their on their assets. And the poor people at the bottom one half of the country economically is is losing three percent. Uh, the overall is a growth of of around three or four percent if you if you average it out. So, and that's true throughout the world and in these countries. So what I saw was that the statistics were were lying. They were skewed in ter- in terms of the very rich. These were not good measurements. And once I saw this, I. It was hard to get out. Uh, people, there was a lot of pressure on you not to get out. Plus, I had money. I was, I was raised as a son of a relatively poor teacher in New Hampshire. Now I'm making good, good money. I'm traveling first class around the world. I've got. I'm realizing what I thought was the American dream. So I really didn't want to get out. So for a while, I was in denial. And then I had an epiphany uh, at one moment. Uh, in uh, in the Virgin Islands that, that really showed me how I needed to get out. What happened? Well, so I took a, a, a vacation. Uh, I'd been in the business for 10 years. I had been struggling for several years with my conscience, knowing that what I was doing, but justifying it, it was easy to justify because, like you said, business schools, bank, everybody said it was the right thing. So it was easy to justify it. And then I, on this vacation in the Virgin Islands, I, I rented a small sailboat and sailed up to St. John Island. I anchored it and climbed up the hill to the ruins of an old sugar plantation. And I sat there watching the sunset over the Caribbean. It was beautiful. It was very idyllic uh, setting. And then suddenly it occurred to me that this sugar plantation had been built on the bones of thousands of slaves. And then I realized, well, the whole hemisphere is built on the bones of Millions of slaves, including right. indigenous people from here and 
and from Africa. And then I had to admit that I too was a slaver. I was, it was a different type of slavery. I was enslaving people in debt, very different, but still a form of slavery. And at that moment, I made the decision I wouldn't do it anymore. And after that trip, I went back to, my, uh, to the president of my company and, and resigned. And what did he say? Well, he made it very difficult. Everybody made it very difficult for me to resign. <laughs> and for a while, I, 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 I took a, I did accept a, a consulting job uh, with a client of this company to, to please the company. So, and, and also, I was suddenly all out of income. Right. So, I, I, I did take a consulting job for a while. And during that time, again, it was just it was just really growing on me that what I was doing was wrong. Eventually, I got out of that and, and, and went about what I believed in. Okay. This is Guys Guys Radio. Your host, Robert Manny. Our very special guest is best-selling, global bestseller, John Perkins. We're going to talk about his new book, Touching the Jaguar, but he is the author of the, the seminal Confessions of an Economic Hitman. So we're getting into it now. So thank you, John, again for being here. Um, do you think that this predatory practice um, is, I know you're a capitalist and so am I, and my background's corporate as yours is. So I understand, you know, doing the bad stuff actually pays well. I worked on a lot of products in a lot of companies that the products you could argue, are these really good for people or not? And are we really going after the wrong people here or taking advantage of them. Like I worked in the candy business for years and we used to find that, okay, the 13 uh, year old boy eats seven bars a week. So could we come up with a, a new candy bar that they'll eat eight times a week? And you know, you think about that and okay, we're serving the shareholders, but it's really not really great for everybody overall. Do you think that this practice is exclusive to, or uh, limited to, if you will, the United States or but are Russia and China and other countries involved in the same type of practice now? Well, yeah, all these countries are involved in this kind of practice to, to one degree or another. I, I think what's important, Robert, to understand here is what you're talking about is not capitalism, in my opinion, or it's a, a mutant form of capitalism capitalism because if you if you go to the basic definition of capitalism and you can look it up in any dictionary it's it's a system uh, where the means of production and distribution are not owned by the government they're owned by private individuals and it's based on competition and free and open competition what we have today is really kind of much more of an oligarchy where where the competition is is forced out by big corporations if if they want to force it out. There's still some there. There's no question, but it's not really a competitive system on a global level. It's a very very biased system, and while the government does not own the means of production and distribution, the people who own the big companies mm -hmm. basically own governments. Right. Uh, and we know that today, and in the United States particularly, and it's true throughout much of the world, where where no leader. Uh, can stay in, can get into office or stay into office without the support of these big corporations. Incidentally, that may be changing with this coronavirus. Well, let's, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's pivot to that because what seems to be happening, uh, I, I have a couple of observations I want to share with you as more of an expert on uh, the economics of this. And one is that, you know, with everybody's talking about, you know, not enough ventilators and vaccinations, but nobody's talking about particularly our medical leaders, about how do you strengthen your immune system? It's like, how about 
you know, that's the number one thing because it seems like a lot of people who are uh, being stricken uh, have compromised immune systems and there's no mention of what people can do uh, on an individual basis to strengthen their immune system. That's number one. Number two, with this economic uh, result of the coronavirus, do you think there's going to be any type of reset in terms of uh, uh, the, how the currency works? Um, we are, have strictly been kind of uh, aligned to an oil dollar for the last 20 years or so, is my understanding. And now I see in the year 2020, a lot of the European countries are actually switching over some of the car companies from uh, fossil fuels to electric, even I think like Maserati and companies like that. Um, what's your sense as to what's going to happen here? Is it going to be print more money? Are we going to go back to a gold standard? Is it going to be the petrodollar again? Is the whole system going to be reset? What's your sense of all of that stuff that I just threw at you? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of stuff, Robert. Uh, you know, my, my sense is that this virus is opening the door for us to really touch our jaguar and, and look at how we need to change. I, I think we I think most everybody knows that we've created a situation that's, that cannot continue. Um, we've seen hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and, and other once in 100 year events happening now every year or so. That sure sent a strong message to us. And it did, it, you know, the whole idea of climate change. It's, it's out there, Most I think a good a lot of people believe in it, the idea that, that we've, we've had a huge impact on the climate. But even those people who believe it haven't necessarily really, really done something about it. It's so easy not to. It's so easy when there's a hurricane that hits. If you survive the hurricane itself, you expect the outside world to come to your rescue within a few days or maybe it'll take a couple of weeks. But you expect water, bottled water to arrive. And, and, and then your leaders are going to tell you that we're going to rebuild. Uh, but this virus has shown us that there is no outside world. Uh, we, we've all been hit, and hopefully we will not try to return to normal. I think there'll be a new normal, that businesses will recognize the importance of moving as much as possible to selling their products online, and many institutions in, in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors will rely more heavily on online meetings and conferences. Uh, there'll be so many things. Companies that deliver products, such as Amazon, UPS, and companies like that, will get more and more into electric vehicles and drones and and so forth because they recognize that we're very vulnerable in the oil economy. At the same time, I think the oil companies will be losing a lot of the power that they've had for many, many, many years. And the growing businesses will be those that uh, work through the internet or make products that in the internet, the Googles, the Facebooks, um, the, 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 the Microsofts, the Amazons, and so forth. So. I think we're going to see a lot of changes made, and we're going to see that individuals can understand that um, we can do a lot more connecting with our families without getting on airplanes. Uh, we can go to meetings much more effectively, efficiently by just going through our computer rather than walking down corridors and talking to people and moving chairs around and spending in half an hour to get ready for a half an hour meeting right. uh, or, or traveling by car or plane to get to the meeting. So things will change. Also, I think another thing is important. People have learned to live in simpler, more frugal ways. <laughs> this will result in lifestyle changes for, for many, especially the younger generations. And, and that will have a major impact on economies. 
So I think, I believe we're going to go through a major change. I think we need to. I write about how what we've created is something that many economists refer to as a death economy, an economic system that is consuming itself into extinction. We need to move into a life economy, an economic, a governmental, social economic system that cleans up, pays people to clean up pollution, to regenerate destroyed environments, new technologies. And, and I think this virus is, is pushing us in that direction. I, that's certainly my hope in any case. Okay. Let's pivot to your book because we want to talk about the new book, Touching the Jaguar. So you wrote Confessions of a Hitman. Um, I just have one more question about that. So when you came out with that book, did you get a lot of pushback uh, from, your, um, from the corporate community, if you will? And uh, what did you do about that? And then how did you kind of uh, step into Touching the Jaguar, which is about your uh, lessons learned working with the shamans in the different parts of the world, most particularly in the Amazon area? Well, regarding the pushback, uh, first of all, the, uh, the manuscript for, for Confessions of an Economic Hitman was rejected by 39 publishers. Wow. I got, I got 39. Did, 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 I know initially, if you're a new author, a lot of times things get, uh, as I've experienced, you get rejections. But um, why do you think, did they give you any reasons and what was your thinking? Because to me, the premise is brilliant. And I wasn't a new author. I'd, I'd published five books on, wow. on indigenous people and shamanism. Wow. Uh, I, you know, I've come to understand that most of the publishing houses, their editors are, are overworked and underfinanced, and they, they couldn't, they didn't have the budgets to really vet the book. They were afraid that maybe I was lying. Uh, they, were, they were afraid politically. They didn't want to take a chance on it. Right. And then one brave publisher, Barry Kohler, after the, four, the 40th one <laughs> in the door, they really vetted it. They went to work on it. They looked, they looked into my background and they came to the conclusion that it was true, which, which, which the New York Times later vetted it and another n- number of other organizations vetted it. And then, of course, after that, the, the, the big houses wanted to buy the paperback rights and they had a big, right. huge bidding war, especially between Random House and Penguin. And Penguin won that, and Random House then published another book by me later. They, they, they contracted with me, and Penguin did. So things moved on from there. But, um, you know, you want to talk about touching the Jaguar, you get 39 rejection slips. You know, about, right. by, by about the 10th, you're, you're, you feel like maybe you ought to throw in the towel. But you go out and you touch that Jaguar, you say, what am I afraid of? Maybe just another rejection, or maybe I'm going to get a, you know, get a success this time. All right, so, so let Let's get into touch, Touching the Jaguar. What is it about? Um, what does Touching the Jaguar mean? Why did you write the book? What do you want readers to take away from it? Well, Touching the Jaguar is, is, is so in, in the Amazonian cultures where I spent several years as a Peace Corps volunteer originally and go back often and trained as a shaman there because a shaman saved my life and asked me to be his apprentice as a result. They say that Touching the Jaguar, when you are on a vision quest, uh, if you see a jaguar, it, it symbolizes that which you fear. And you identify that which you fear. And then if you run from it, it'll follow you. But if you touch it, it'll empower you and inspire you and give you the energy to move, move forward. So the, the, as an example, uh, let's say I've got you get your twentieth rejection slip from a publisher, and you say, "Damn it, I'm not. I'm just not going to try again. I'm I'm afraid of another rejection. I can't stand rejection." You touch that jaguar, and the jaguar can say to you, "Hey, you know, 
these rejections are just coming because these people are afraid, or maybe the editor that was reading it had a fight with his with with, a, with his his or her spouse at breakfast, or had a headache. Who knows? Just try again. Come on, try again. And that's one example of of touching the jaguar. Well, well, let me let me ask you this, John. Do you for the for our listeners to touch their jaguar, which is metaphorical, and for most cases, for because we don't have jaguars running around here, and you know our major in the U.S. But it, it, do you find that the you know you can get in touch with your jaguar, if you will, through is it through meditation? Is it through intuition? Is it through quieting the mind? Is it just through not giving up? Yeah, in the book, uh, Robert, uh, Touching the Jaguar, I, there's, a, there's a section that's devoted to helping people really go there, um, some detail. But in, in summary, uh, there's so many avenues to doing that. And sometimes it's just thinking about it like, okay, so think about right now the coronavirus. Ah, my God, you know, I don't, I don't think I can handle another month or maybe two months of self-isolation. I'm a social animal. I'm scared. I don't. I don't. I don't want to stay in this house all at that time. That's a big jaguar. But if you touch it and you say, "Okay, well, what's this offering me?" Oh, I always wanted to learn to play the piano. I've got a piano, you know, or guitar, whatever. I can go online and learn how to play it. This will give me time. I've always wanted to read more books. I wanted to write a book. I've wanted to. I wanted. I wanted all the things that are now are possible. Uh, because you're being self-isolated in this way. So you touch that jaguar of the fear, oh, I can't stand to be alone. Okay, touch the jaguar. What does being alone have to offer? And when you do that, uh, you get amazing gifts. It's incredible. That's just one of many examples. I think. So what, what was yours, John? How did you touch, come to the um, your own experience in touching your own personal jaguar and what was the epiphany? I know you mentioned the story about being up on the hill in the Virgin Islands, but was there something else that happened to you that said, I'm going to go there? Because when you went there with the Confessions book, it actually uh, it catapulted you, of course, into prominence. And then from there, what did you do to make those next steps? What was your jaguar? Well, uh, the book, I had assumed that the book would destroy any credibility I had with the business community. It did exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. And part of that was, I think, business leaders touching their own Jaguars and seeing that what I was saying had a lot of merit to it. Uh, the book, surprised, shockingly to me, was a, a, on the bestseller at the World Bank bookstore for many, many, many months. Uh, and that was true in many different places. So the book kind of catapulted me into this new arena. And I have to say that, you know, I've been doing a lot of workshops and teaching on shamanism, and now suddenly I'm being invited to speak at corporate uh, meetings, at huge seminars recently at the St. Petersburg Russia International Economic Forum that had over 12,000 people and other speakers included President Putin and Secretary General of the United Nations, Guterres, and the head of the Chase Bank. And so, I mean, just amazing array of people. And, you know, I have to say that it was a bit scary for me to move into, into this field, to go back into kind of my economic work after spending so much time in the shamanism realm. But what I realized was that there was a bridge between these two. And that's actually why I wrote the book, Tagwar because it's about the bridge. How do these two connect it? And they're all connected through the, through the, through the idea, uh, the fact, 
that human reality is molded by human perceptions. So, Robert, if you think about it, there's no United States, there's no Russia, there's no Canada, there are no corporations, there's no culture, there's no religion, except as we perceive them. And right. when enough people accept a perception and codify it into law, it has a huge impact on reality. That's very shamanic. It's also very corporate that corporations are all about getting people to perceive that they have the best product or they have the best services, How, that perception. And our whole death economy is based on a perception that uh, the goal of corporations is to maximize short-term profits regardless of the social and environmental cost. So I realized that my whole job in, in helping to turn a death economy into a life economy revolved around changing perception, especially that perception of profits. That, that the goal should not be to maximize short-term profits regardless of the social and environmental cost. The, the, the goal should be to maximize long-term benefits for now, people and okay. nature, for everyone. Now, when you have a situation that we're living in now where probably about a handful of corporations, maybe a half a dozen to a dozen, basically run every industry, and you're now talking at um, corporate events, why why do you think that is? Um and uh, are they concerned? They they just want to keep an eye on you. Are they concerned that uh, you you know you're rattling the cage, or they're just uh, is it a curiosity? Why do you think that they're embracing you? Because you're basically suggesting a paradigm shift in how corporations behave. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time with CEOs and exceptions after these conferences, like like the one in St. Petersburg. A lot of the work is done outside of the actual speaking forums. And what I hear over and over and over from big corporations is I want to make the world a better place. I have children. I have grandchildren. I realize this isn't working. But I'm afraid to make the changes that I know I should make because if, I, if my company loses a half a percentage of market share or the stock prices go the major stockholder will fire me and right. replace me with someone who only cares replace me with someone who only cares about market share or or stock prices and so i stay in office here and 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 do the best that i can without getting fired but i ask you to go out speak to everybody you're speaking to including the people on the show and say hey send me emails rally all your social networking circles and tell them to send me an email saying and i, I would say this robert that any your viewers can pick corporation that they want to, Walmart, Nike, whatever it is, and send a that they that they'd like to see change. Send letters and get their social networking circles to, to send letters and to send it to their social networking circles saying, hey, I love your product. I'm not going to buy it anymore until you pay your workers in Indonesia a fair wage or whatever the, the issue is. And these, a lot of these CEOs are just waiting to get this kind of information that they can then take to their main, their primary stockholders and say, hey, these are our customers. We got to listen. And yeah, there are a few sociopaths that, that they don't, they don't give a damn. But if right. we define the goal as to being to maximize long-term benefits, sociopaths yeah. will be the first to buy on because they want to be successful at whatever the goal is. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I mean, look at uh, I worked at major corporations on in brand management, and we would create products based on what the consumers wanted. So once the whole organic thing started happening where it was an awareness, then companies realized, oh, the consumer has now caught on to the fact that organic is better, 
GMOs are bad, they started labeling. Basically, if something says it doesn't have GMOs, it doesn't mean it's organic, but at least they're telling you that we're, they wouldn't even tell you before. Now, on the flip side of that, on the flip side, on the other side of the net, you know, companies are now calling it bioengineered instead of having GMOs. So it's just this constant thing. But it is, as you say, John, it is consumer driven. If the consumers don't say anything, they'll they'll serve you the same slop that you've been getting because you haven't asked for a change. And they, what people don't realize, and I always stress to my listeners, is that we have more power than we think we do. And we create our world every second, each one of us individually. And as you said about perception, if you don't perceive the way things, the way you are being told to perceive things, you can create a completely different world. What do you think, John? Totally, totally agree with you, Robert. And and I think it's important for people to also know that while it's important how you shop, what you buy, it's also really important that you let the company know. So if you choose not to buy something from company A, because right. B is greener, is better, they do a better job at, at, at meeting the, the right conditions, you need to send a, a text or an email or whatever it is you want to send to company A and tell them why you're not buying their product. Exactly. And tell company, exactly. company B why you are. And and get that out there to all your social networking circles. I mean, that's 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 true capitalism, and it's also true democracy. Mm-hmm. And we all need to practice it a lot more. It is not just enough to wisely. It we've got to communicate why we're doing that to the people that, that who matters most to. Right, and you are uh, as I am a capitalist, and capitalism has brought us many advances in technology and, and other things. So it's not this is not anti-capitalist. This is actually pro-capitalism in a more altruistic way, which is how it was originally designed and envisioned by our founders. It's not about this predatory capitalism that has come to fruition over the recent times. So. Talk to us a little bit about um, how, why do you think that you were um, had an affinity for shamanism and you've written many books on it. Uh, you've also got one called The Stress-Free Habit about health and longevity, shape-shifting, um, psychonavigation. You talk about that. T- tell us a little bit about what, what's your affinity for shamanism and how can everyday people incorporate more of this, these teachings and learnings into their day-to-day lives to live the best life they can live? Well, when I was a young man, a Peace Corps volunteer in 1969, deep in Amazon, I was dying. I was very ill. A shaman healed me by helping me change my perception. And that's, that's a longer story that's, that's in the book, in the Jaguar. But after that, he demanded that I become his apprentice. It was 1969. I graduated from business school. I'd never even heard of a shaman until I went through this experience. There was no future in shamanism then. There is now. I had no interest. I saved my life. So I did it. And then after that, I I, I, be, I really began to understand. I studied shot with shamans in, on many other continents and different cultures. And what I came to understand was that every one of them is based on the idea that our perceptions mold our reality. Mm-hmm. My sickness was actually a function of the perceptions I had about the food and the and the spit beer that I was drinking and so on and so forth. I talk in detail in the book, and I also then came to recognize that psycho that mo- that modern psychotherapy is all about perception, and marketing is all about perception. Right. Economics is all about perception. Everything, everything's about perception, 
And so, you know, shamanism played this very large part of my life. Uh, and as I write about in, in Touching the Jaguar, at one point, uh, my life was, was threatened extensively when I tried to write Confessions of an Economic Hitman originally. Uh, and I was also hired by a corporation, uh, Stone Webster, a big consulting firm, but basically, I was told I didn't need to do any work. They'd pay me half a million dollars in a consultant's retainer. Again, the details all in the book. And uh, all I, but I just couldn't write this book that I'd been working on. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped. And they, but they, they were fine with me writing books about shamanism, about indigenous people in the countries where they wanted to get business because it actually helped them. So I wrote those five books. And I was writing about this process of transformation in every one of those books. And then later, after the con- my contract expired with them, and I had this epiphany uh, in the Virgin Islands, uh, I then realized I, I had to write uh, the book. But where the previous book, I contacted other economic hitmen, jackals, and tried to get their stories, and that's how these people realized that I was writing the book. For the, the next go-round, when I wrote Confessions, I did it completely in secret. I didn't tell anybody. It was a personal confession, not an expose. Got and, it. and nobody knew about it until I got it in the hands of a very good literary agent in New York, and he got it out to publishers. And at that point, I figured it was my best insurance policy to get out into the public that way. Okay. It's Guys Guys Radio. My special guest is John Perkins. He's an author, best-selling author and activist. Um I wanted to touch base with you on the health and longevity. Since you've written a book about it, The Stress-Free Habit, and stress is another thing, going back to what I mentioned earlier about how people can strengthen their immune systems. You know, stress, and the stress of this whole coronavirus situation is impacting people's immune systems. How can people, how can my listeners uh, dial down the stress, live the healthiest life they can live, and do things, what things can people do to promote their longevity? Because I think with the, you know, the baby boomer, that whole pig in a python moving older and older, the key word nowadays is longevity. People are freaking out. I have friends, I'm a boomer, and they, they haven't done anything. They do the, they have the exact same habits as they did when we got out of college. They drink the same stuff, they eat the same stuff, they have the same amount of stress, they define themselves by their job and their paycheck, and then all of a sudden they're like, I'm gonna get laid off at a certain point and who am I and what else do I have that's keeping me interested and they're they're internally I can tell full of fear and this is not a condemnation of them this is just how it is out there so what can people do to deal with stress deal with fear and deal with longevity yeah well you just hit the nail on the head Robert with with, with that and that 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 fear of what can I do where do I go that's that's the Jaguar and you, you touch it, and it, it, it can give you some answers. And let me give you a, another example. And this comes from the book, The Stress-Free Habit. Uh, a, a Mayan shaman who, who worked on excavating these huge pyramids in Mayan territory, you've probably seen pictures of in Tikal and, and, and Ushmal, Ushmal and Chichen Itza. I take people to those places every year in, in January. It's on my website, johnperkins.org, to, to work with the shamans. And this particular shaman who had previously been an excavator said, you know, I've learned to, that my, to, touching, the, touching the jaguar is like walking the wall. And he said, well, we're, when I'm really up on one of these pyramids, if I'm walking along a wall up there and I look down, I say, oh, my God, the ground is so far below me, I, I, I might fall. 
well, chances are I'm going to lose my balance and right. maybe fall. On the other hand, I just I think, well, this is just a wall. It might only be a min, an inch off the ground. It's just like a wall that would be an inch off the ground. It's the same thing. All I got to do is focus on walking this wall. I get bring the size of the wall down. It's a great teaching, and, and today with this virus, I think we've got people who are sitting at home saying, "Oh my God, you know, I can't, I can't stay here. I, I, I can't, I, I can't stay here another month or two, self-isolated like this." And that, that's a very high wall. Mm-hmm. But if you bring the wall down by saying, well, what, what, how can I use this time effectively to do what I really want to do with my life, to learn what I really want to learn, to get more connected with family members virtually or however, uh, to, 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 to become a better writer, to study, whatever it is. What, how can I use this time? This is an opportunity. Then you start to lower that wall. And if you're losing your job. That's, and you say, oh, I'm going to lose my house, I can't pay the mortgage, and my wife's going to leave me. You can, you can create this very, very high right. wall. On the other hand, if you say, well, listen, I'm a smart person. I can do other things. There's, there's more things I can do, and maybe I need to cut back. Maybe I need to buy a smaller house. Maybe I need to And you start thinking about things. Well, that, that would be fun. I, I wouldn't mind moving out of the city and moving out into the country and buying a less expensive house and growing my own food. And, and you start to bring the wall down. So we, what we do is we look at what is, what is it that we really fear and how do we use that fear to move us into taking actions that will relieve us from the fear and actually take us into a new life for ourselves and a new or at least a new attitude about ourselves. So it sounds like what we're doing then um, following that uh, template, if you will, is we're shifting. It all begins with shifting our perceptions. The perceptions create the stress. And so instead of looking at a situation as in dire consequences that are possible, look at it as opportunities. I'm sure you would agree, John, that there's going to be a lot of new businesses that grow out of this uh, new economy and what the fallout from the coronavirus. It's, there's going to be companies that crop up that say, figure out that there is a new needs to be filled. But it's all about perception. Look at it as an opportunity, as you say, instead of as a as a consequence. Is that is that am I on the right track here? Absolutely, Robert. Look at the business you're in. Uh, this is going to grow, as you said earlier. I think the mainstream media is going to continue to shrink in its in, in its importance, and what we call mainstream media, and and what and what you're doing in the podcast. This is this is now the new mainstream, and it's going to become more and more important. Uh, the whole idea of connecting by social networking and the internet is going to become more and more important. Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest, most powerful corporations in the world, the oil companies, are are going to be diminished. There's no question. At the same right. time, companies like Google and Facebook are going to increase in their power. And we've got to be careful about that. We've got to watch that carefully. And and hopefully there'll be a lot of entrepreneurs coming along that will compete with some companies that will come up with continually new systems. I mean, this whole thing is happening very quickly. There's great opportunities here for people. This whole idea of moving into a life economy where we pay people to clean up pollution, mm-hmm. where we pay corporations to come up with methods instead of how to make better weapons Right. Uh, make better systems for, for cleaning up the plastic floating around and regenerating destroyed and new technology that don't ravage the earth, that, that, that uh, use this more of the sun and the, and the wind and, 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 and the air to, to create energy and, and so forth. There are so many opportunities that are actually unimaginable at this point in okay. time, but so, so many ways we can hire people to do really good stuff. 
Okay. Uh, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, this is your host, Robert Manny, is John Perkins, the worldwide best-selling author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman. We're talking about his new book, Touching the Jaguar. I just want to go back to one last question, John, um, for my listeners. Uh, longevity. What are some of the things, what are one or two tips you can give for people to enhance their possibilities of living the longest, best life possible? I know we talked about perception shifting. Is there anything they can do physically? Well, I, you know, that's not my, my realm. Okay. <laughs> but, I think but from what you learned from the, from the shamans. Yeah, well, you know, I, I get really good exercise every day. I might miss a day or two in here, but I, I jog, I, I, I walk, I meditate, I do a little weight stuff. I, I used to, pra- I, until very recently when I moved, I practiced martial arts for 29 years. I started okay. practicing martial arts in my 40s. Diet? Uh, I think getting exercise. Eating, eating healthy. I mean, people know what that's all about. But I really think more than anything else, Robert, the most important thing is for people to follow their bliss, to do what they really want to do, no matter what age. You can start at any age to do this, and and but to really say what, be on that proverbial deathbed, looking back and saying, what would I regret that I didn't do? What do I most want to do? What will give me the greatest satisfaction? Because if we don't, if we're not satisfied with what we do, if we're not happy, if we don't following our bliss, then we're not then we're not successful, no matter how much money we make. Perfect. So following the bliss, and then looking at what's keeping me from following my bliss. What are my jaguars? What's stopping me? What are the voices saying? You're too old. You're too. You're not smart enough. You haven't had enough education. Whatever. What are the and how do I touch them, and change that perception and move forward? Perfect. Our special guest, Guys Guys Radio, once again, John Perkins, author of the New York Times bestseller, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, the new book. It's coming out uh, next month, touching. You can pre-order it, but I'm going to let John tell you about um, where you can get the book and also some seminars and workshops he has coming up. The book, again, is Touching the Jaguar, Transforming Fear into Action to Change Your Life and the World. John, you are a guy's guy. Thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio. Before you leave, please tell everybody where they can learn more about you, get the book, etc. Thanks, Robert. It's a pleasure being on your show, and I love what you're doing. Thank Very you. much appreciate it. So you can go to johnperkins.org. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And right now, a good place to go to is touchingthejaguarbook, all one word, dot com, or johnperkins.org. You can order the book and also uh, sign up for the, it's, a, it's about a $300 workshop that I'm giving for free on, uh, on virtually uh, on April 29th. Uh, but if you go to those websites, johnperkins.org or touchingthejaguarbook.com, uh, you'll get all the information you need. And I look forward to hanging out with your people more and more. Thank you so much, Robert. Fantastic, John. Thank you. A pleasure to meet you. I hope we can stay in touch. And anytime you want to come back to the show, you're always welcome here at Guys Guys Radio. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I look forward to more, too. Robert Manny's The Guys Guys Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. 
Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. All right. Great interview with John Perkins. I'm going to have to wrap pretty quickly today because we've had a very solid show. So a couple of things. What did we learn talking to John? I think we learned two things. Number one, we learned to be wary of strangers bearing gifts because sometimes things aren't always what meets the eye. So you've got to be careful. And I'm referring to these impoverished countries that take on aid from other big countries around the world because you you may end up paying a lot more in the long run. Number two, fear. I think we've got to face our fears. And as John says, touch that Jaguar. If you want to get past the fear, you've got to face it. You've got to touch it and move through it. So a couple things to keep in mind. Guys, Guys Radio, we're here on KCAA Radio every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. The show rebroadcasts every Sunday at 2 p.m. The podcast drops worldwide every Thursday, every place you can imagine that you, where you consume your pods from. So we're everywhere. Of course, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeart, etc., my website is robertmanny.com. I've got a brand new website. It's upgraded, mobile-friendly. I've got over 300 blog posts there about guys, gals, life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. I think you'll enjoy that. We've got a whole YouTube channel, cooking, and everything Guy's Guy is based on the source material, my novel. Yes, a novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, about two men in advertising, competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City, where they play for keeps. The story takes place in 2005. So it's a little bit of a period piece now, but it works. It's fun. It's been called the male successor to Sex in the City, the guy's guy's guide to love. So that's our show for today. Really good show. John Perkins is terrific. I've got a lot of really cool guests lined up for the next couple of months. And I am so supportive of my audience, listeners, and my guests on Guys Guys Radio because the show is doing great here on KCAA and worldwide. We are now one of the top 100 podcasts in Australia for some reason. I don't know why, but it was nice to get that news. And also, sales of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which came out a few years ago. I had the biggest sales quarter last quarter since the novel launched. So, Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you for supporting the work we're doing here to bring you information that'll help you live your best life. Guys, Guys Radio, your host here, Robert Manny, as I always like to say, I'll see you next week. But most importantly, guys, guys, finish first.